Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody. To the podcast, it is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021, people. And we got ourselves a bonus episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast here on Wednesday, June 9th. If you listen to the last episode, you know a little bit of the background, but today is going to be different. Today is going to be a strictly a non-sports episode as I welcome in a gentleman named Forrest Galante. I will explain who he is in a minute, but he is not in the sports world. And so for this particular episode, I decided, you know what? Rather than try to do like 25 minutes off the top on some random obscure topic and then force in an interview that's not related, this will be a standalone episode. No Torres ranting off the top, nothing crazy, but I am telling you, you are going to love this interview, okay? So here is who Forrest Galante is and why I was so desperate to have him on the show. First of all, many of you may know the name. He has been on Joe Rogan's show multiple times. He has been on Pardon My Take a few times. And he is basically the modern-day Steve Irwin, if you remember, of a certain age. Steve Irwin was the crocodile hunter, that crazy guy that used to jump into swamps and swim with crocodiles and do all that stuff. Forrest Galante is that guy for our generation, okay? So he is a host of a show called Extinct or Alive on Animal Planet. If you've never seen it, for those of you who have children, I think it's a great show to watch with your kids. If you don't, I'm telling you it's awesome anyway. But the show is called Extinct or Alive, and essentially what he does is he gets dropped into the most remote regions of the world, the Amazon rainforest, uh, you know, Southeast Asia, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, and he is basically sent there to go in and try to find animals that people believe to have been extinct. That is what the entire show is called, Extinct or Alive. You don't have to be a, 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 a veterinarian to understand the concept of the show. It's really awesome. It's really fun. And what is super cool is that he's actually found many of these animals. And so I started watching the show during quarantine. And it was at that time that I said, you know what? I got to get this guy on the podcast. I don't care how. I don't care why. So Forrest Galante is joining me today uh, to talk about his show, Extinct or Alive. But he also does have a new book out called Still Alive, which is available on Amazon. And all I would say really quick is this. 
even if you are a diehard sports fan and you come to Torres to talk sports and you want to hear what I have to say about the topics of the day, I still encourage you, do me a favor. One, give this interview a shot because I think you'll have a blast, okay? He talks about all sorts of stuff. We do get into some of the crazier stories from the show. Uh, He has had to go into the Amazon and basically negotiate with Colombian drug lords to look for animals in certain places. He actually got literally chased out of the country in Africa within the last couple weeks, essentially because they thought he was some kind of, uh, you know, whatever, and the government chased him out, and he was afraid he was going to go to jail and never be heard from again. So this guy has crazy stories. He's really funny. He's really awesome. And I think you'll enjoy it. Again, he has another he has a book out. What I would encourage you to do is a couple things. Give this interview a chance. I really do think you'll like it. Uh, and even if even if you don't get the book, do me a favor, hit him up on Twitter at Forrest Galante because Interviews like this, they're not easy to get, okay? This guy has hundreds of thousands of followers, gets millions of viewers on uh, Animal Planet and all the different shows that he does. Uh, He's been on the biggest shows that you can possibly be on, and so for me to get him on this show is a major win for this show, who I am and what I do. And so if you can do me a favor, give the interview a shot. If you don't like it, we're not doing non-sports very often on this show. That's one. But then two, on top of that, if you do enjoy it, hit him up on Twitter, at Forrest Galante. Let him know that you heard, him, you heard him on the Torres podcast so that he knows that it's worthwhile for his time to come on. He already said he wants to come back on, uh, but it's a great interview. I will say there is one point where we start talking about, uh, you know, overhunting of rare animals and stuff like that. Don't worry. It's not like an anti-hunting rant or anything like that. Um, I know many of you are hunters. I respect hunters. Uh, This was not that. So I just want to warn you, it is completely different. But I'm telling you, man, if you just like adventure TV, if you like really good stuff, you're going to enjoy this interview. And I should mention, by the way, this guy doesn't do it for the cameras. He's a true biologist. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, this is his profession. This is his career. Um, you know, and he's really good at what he does. So I will stop rambling. Here is my interview with Forrest Galante. You can watch his show Extinct or Alive on Animal Planet. You can find it on Amazon as well if you don't have standard cable TV. He's got a couple specials on Discovery Channel. He's got two Shark Week specials and a third one coming. And his new book is called Still Alive. And again, if you want to do me a favor, Go ahead, hit him on Twitter, at Forrest Galante. Let him know you heard him on the Torres pod and that you appreciate his time. But let's get to it. And by the way, do me a favor. Shoot me a DM afterward. Uh, shoot me an email afterward, Aaron Torres, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Let me know if you liked it, if you hated it. But it is June. We are trying to do some different stuff on this show. But I do hope you enjoy the interview with Forrest Galante. All right, so joining me via Zoom, I just laid it out. Uh, first of all, he is a wildlife biologist, host of a show called Extinct or Alive, new book for the YouTube users, uh, Still Alive by Forrest Galante. And so let me give my listeners a little bit of background. It's COVID. There's nothing to do. I don't think my wife particularly liked me at that moment in time. And then, you know, we're flipping channels, 9, 10 o'clock at night. We come across this incredible show on Animal Planet. It's called Extinct or Alive. They drop this crazy person into the most remote places in the world. uh, And his job is to 
find animals that are believed to be extinct. We've been hooked ever since. Again, that book is called Still Alive, a wildlife a wild a wildlife of discovery, which is available on Amazon and everything. Forrest Galante, that's the longest introduction I've ever done. But thank you so Boom. much for your time. I like it, Aaron. Thank you for having me, man. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. It truly is. And what I think is interesting is kind of in reading the book, um, I, you know, we all kind of see the end product. You know, you're this incredible wildlife biologist living out your dream. But I think even in setting that up, what was interesting in reading the book was that you were never believed you were going to be this TV guy. Like you were basically yeah. a biologist. Uh, you're tagging animals. You're working, uh, you know, up in Santa Barbara doing a lot of great work. Uh, so give everyone that that's seen the show or heard your name or heard you on Joe Rogan or wherever, just the brief, because it's incredible, you know, how where life takes you sometimes. But as you say, TV is a great platform to get your message out. For sure, man. Yeah, no, I never saw myself working in TV. I mean, when you're a kid from Zimbabwe who grew up without TV, you certainly don't ever think of it as being in, you know, something, an industry that you can ever work in. I mean, I was a I was a bow-legged kid from in safari shorts, you know, not not someone who ever aspired to work in TV, never met a single person that worked in TV, never seen a professional video camera, nothing. So, you know, in Still Alive, one of the things I do is obviously I communicate conservation and wildlife and love of the sciences. I talk about adventure and injury and, and political unrest and all that stuff. But I tell it through the lens of the linear progression as to how I went from that bow-legged kid in safari shorts into being, you know, one of the, the, the better known presenters in the outdoor space. Um, and, and that whole progression, how it happened, how I seized my tiny windows of opportunity uh, when, they, when they were presented to me. And, and that's, you know, that's what I, that, that really more so than finding extinct animals or anything, that's what I'm good at is like, looking for opportunity and really seizing it and pushing really hard to make things happen. And that's why our expeditions are successful. That's why our, uh, our TV show is successful. I'm hoping the book will be successful, so on and so forth. So uh, I did not realize that this was a show and I'm not a huge TV nerd, but so this all started, you and your wife are sitting there and there's a show called Naked or Afraid. Is this, is this my understanding? And I guess again, Naked and Afraid. Yep. It's not or it's and yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 And so, so, so you're, you're a biologist, you're working at a, a regular biology firm or whatever, and you kind of are looking at these dopes on TV saying, I could do, I, I could, I, I grew up in Zimbabwe, like you just said, uh, you know, and that was essentially the, the launch of your TV career, for lack of a better term. Uh, yes and no, Aaron. I mean, so I was a biologist. I felt like I wasn't making a big difference. And I came home, I plopped down on the couch, covered in filth, working as a biological field tech, making like 14 bucks an hour. And, you know, I still had like a pretty impressive repertoire of things I had done and discoveries I'd made to my name, but I was still just an academic grinding away. And I came home, I plopped down on the couch. My wife was slipping through the channels. She was my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, I, and she was like, look at this stupid thing. Like, what is this? Like, look at these idiots. Like you're way better than this. And so I, I ended up like sending in a pretty arrogant email to the production company being like, hey, I'm better at this than the people you have on TV. You know, give me a shot. And when I signed up for it and did it, I did it as a vacation, a joke, something fun to do, an experience, never because I wanted to work in TV. I went and did it, went back home, went back to being a field biologist. But when the show came out, 
and it received four and a half million views on the opening night compared to the 400 reads that I'd got on my last academic paper. I was like, this is a no brainer. Like this is a platform where I could really can communicate wildlife and science. And so, you know, look, two, 300 people have done Naked and Afraid or, or things like Survivor, right? They don't all go on to have their own TV shows. So that gave me the taste and the thirst for it. It didn't really give me the opportunity. The opportunity came by creating it myself and going yeah. and knocking on a gazillion doors as I write about in the book and getting so many no's and getting so much rejection and finally, finally getting a maybe, which eventually turned into a yes, and here we are today. And so take people in. So again, the show is called Extinct or Alive. It's on Animal Planet. Uh, two seasons in the books. I, I can speak for my wife. We're hoping for season three. We'll maybe get to that <laughs> at some point. Um, and the concept is simple. And I, and I think that's why I love it is you don't have to be a zoologist. You don't have to have an animal background. It's, you know, your grandfather was part of, of you know, helping uncover an animal that was believed to be extinct millions of years ago. And exactly. so, so where, wh I don't mean to be super linear and give away the whole book, but, but how do you go from, I go on naked and afraid, I embarrass everybody else. It's too easy. <laughs> To, uh, to now I'm pitching Animal Planet on this show where they're going to drop me in uh, Zimbabwe or, you know, and look for this extinct lion or if that makes sense. Yeah, no, straight up. Um, so what happened was I did Naked and Afraid, right? I got my 15 seconds of fame, like everybody that does any of those ensemble cast shows gets, right? Like if you do Survivor, you do Naked and Afraid, do any of those things, like everybody gets their like local newspaper to reach out to them and be like, hey, hometown hero, like tell us about your time running around the woods naked, right? And what I did when everybody reached out for me, reached out to me for that is I was like, no thanks, I don't really wanna talk about that. And they were like, what? Why don't you wanna talk about that? And I'm like, cause it's, that's like nonsense. But if you wanna talk about something important, let me tell you about the giant lobster that I caught off the coast of, the, of California that was 70 years old. It's the largest one taken in the state. Let me tell you about the time I documented hammerheads 300 miles further north than they've ever been seen before. Let me tell you, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and some, most of the reporters were like, click. But a couple of them were like, yeah, all right, give us that story and we'll like try and tie it in. So I told a few of these stories and a couple of them, because I did have media, I had photos and videos, just cell phone photos and videos and GoPro stuff, but just little things that I collected as one does in today's world. And they went viral. Like, well, some of them blew up, you know, places like the Daily Mail, they got hundreds of millions of views. And then, you know, I had this little bit of opportunity. So between Naked and Afraid and between having all of this little bit of opportunity with these like viral stories, people started to approach me and be like, hey, are you interested in doing another TV show? Would you, for instance, M a producer who was putting together a show for MTV approached me and said, do you want to do a survival dating show? And I was like, not even a little bit. But that producer sent me what's called a deck and a sizzle reel, which is a video reel put together that you use to pitch executives and, a, and basically a, a PowerPoint presentation. And I looked at that and I was like, well, this isn't very good. Like I could make a better one of these, you know, on, in a weekend. And so instead of <clears throat> like following the, the path and being like, yeah, I want to do TV. Let me go with you. And I'm going to do this dumb MTV naked or dating show and see if I can pivot it from there. I just made my own. I just, I ripped, literally straight ripped off the, the deck that was sent to me, copied it, except put my own words and my own ideas in it, my own pictures in it, and then built my own very crummy sizzle reel out of videos that I had using a kid who was like 19 who could barely edit on iMovie. And we put this shit together and then went out and found partners to partner with and, and pitched it. And so it was, 
it was it was a big i mean i'm not talking about something we did in four days this took two years to put this all together from when i first had the idea i want to work in tv i want to promote conservation on that platform to when i actually got a pilot not even a series picked up as a as a as a as a special so it wasn't even a full pilot and um you know and that took two years to get to that point two years of like relentless no's and rejections and notes and changing things and so on and so forth but we did get there eventually so you know i think the story here much like looking for an extinct animal is one of persistence well and that's what i was going to say and i want to get into some of these stories because they're insane but um you know the thing that stands out to me is a life lesson that people can take from anything is you got to create your own opportunities in life and it doesn't happen overnight. Is that is that fair to say, like when you're telling your grandkids about how this all started, those are going to be two lessons that you would impart on them? Oh, man, I will whoop it into them straight up. <laughs> like, not even kidding, because the only reason like when my family came over here, so we were we were forcefully left for Zimbabwe because of some terrible political unrest during the land reform. And so when my family came over here, we were on welfare. We were in government housing like we had nothing. And I never, ever, by the way, strive to be affluent like to that. To this day, it doesn't interest me. But what I what I did want to do is have a comfortable life. And more importantly, I wanted to pursue my passion. And that comes at a cost. You know, it, it's like in the words of uh, Alan Watts, he basically says, if you want to do something, become a master of it, because as soon as you're a master of it, you're valuable. And I, I didn't know this at the time, but all I wanted to do was pursue my passion not even knowing how I could ever make 10 cents off of it, but I love wildlife and I love biology. So I just stayed true to that and, and slowly everything has come. And, you know, I hope to instill that into my kids and my grandkids and so on and so forth. Very good. Let's get into it. Um, you know, again, Extinct or Alive, the book is called Still Alive and it is available again on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you get books. I have read it cover to cover. It is fantastic, by the way. Um, and so... One thing that actually blew me away, and, and I actually, again, I'm so corny and lame. I, I read this excerpt out loud to my wife is that <laughs> we see the end product of a show and you're going after the Zanzibar leopard, right? Like this, we think it's extinct, whatever. What blew me away was how much time goes into the process. So, so I guess what I would say is how do you identify animals that might still be out there? Um, but then what blew me away was this concept of, you know, we, we can't go too early. We can't go too late. We can't go during hurricane season. We can't go during monsoon season. We can't yeah. go when it's too cold. We can't go when it's, and, and, it, and you were saying, you know, that some of these expeditions, you have a four or five week window to get in there and do your work and do your investigation. So that was what kind of blew me away. And what you do is, again, we see the finished product. Oh, cool. He found this. That's amazing. I'm so happy. We're hugging at the end. But like, the amount of work just to get on the ground to pursue your passion, which is again, finding one of your passions, finding extinct animals. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a ton of work, Aaron. And that's something I'm glad that you picked that up from the book because I really did want to convey that, you know, all these, so the, the, the thing that you see on TV is a highlight reel, right? It's the culmination of years of research, months of preparation and weeks in the field boiled down to 44 minutes with cable com cable breaks or commercial breaks, excuse me. So, you know, it's like, there's so much that you never get to see. And then the variables, like you were mentioning, it's like, okay, we're looking for this animal, but 
you have to go there during that animal's ecology. Like when is it most active? Maybe it's something that hibernates. Okay, so you have to go in the spring, but that's really dangerous because you don't know when you're going to get a big snowstorm and, you know, so on and so forth. So you, you have to narrow it down and down and down to being like, these are the most ideal circumstances under which we can launch an expedition, still knowing that you have like a 99.9% .9 chance of being unsuccessful, even yes. when you do that. Because extinct doesn't mean hiding around the corner. Extinct doesn't mean under the next bush. It means gone, right? It's like, it's, this is like hunting for aliens, right? Or Bigfoot or something, except it's not bullshit. It's not cryptozoology. Yes. It's the real deal. So yeah, I mean, we always had our hopes up for sure. I, I don't think any of us were expecting to have as much success as we've actually had. Well, and that, that was actually something interesting as well. And again, I, I'm just looking at it as the dumb guy that, you know, loves dogs and, you know, pets the dog walking down the street. But, you know, you actually say in the book, like, we're not going in believing there's 0% chance because we wouldn't be doing it otherwise. But we kind of have to brace ourselves for the reality that we might not find what we're looking for, which again, I think is counter to somebody that just watches those 44 minutes on TV, at least, like I said, at least this dumb guy right here. I don't know. Like I, I go in every episode, like Forrest got this. He's good. He'll, he'll find that. <laughs> and then, you know, you know what I mean? So that's, I think that's, that's sheer passion and enthusiasm that people feel like I'm going to, but look, I mean, when it comes to TV shit, finding Bigfoot and obviously they're never going to find Bigfoot and never did. That went on for like nine, 10 seasons, whatever, right? So I guess, you know, the journey, the journey can be the destination. And one thing that I always strive to do when we make TV shows and even in this book is make the journey the destination because odds are we're not going to find this animal that we're looking for. But while we're there, you know, why not look at this incredible environment? Look at this amazing stuff. Look at all the other animals that inhabit this area. Look at all the other things that are worth saving. And that's kind of what the point of the show is to me, even more so than finding the extinct animal. Now, when we started to actually find a couple extinct animals, it was like, holy shit, you know, like knocked us on our butts because we're doing stuff that literally everybody said was impossible. It's like when you, uh, if you've ever seen The Lost City of Z, the Netflix movie or read the book, when Percy Fitzpatrick gets up in front of his colleagues and is like, I'm going to find The Lost City of Z. They're all like, you're crazy, you're a lunatic. Like, that's what it was like when I told a bunch of my colleagues that I was going to look for extinct animals. And now I'm like, haha, you know, screw you guys. Like, I'm doing it. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> for, for people who are listening, not watching the video, uh, this is the first time I'll ever have to uh, bleep out to uh, a double bird in the middle of the podcast. But all right, so let's go let's talk about a couple of the adventures here. So um, the, the Cayman, the Rio Apoporis Cayman. So you go into the jungle of the Amazon, which is only part of the story, because if I'm not mistaken, you basically had to negotiate with maybe some uh, basically Colombian drug lords. Like, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. You said it in the book, so I don't feel bad. Like, you know, this isn't a top secret. So you were basically in a place that no human basically had ever been, if my understanding is correct, because it's heavily guarded by, again, people that don't want people like you in their territory, basically. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It was a hell of a thing. Like we had to charter a cargo plane, a DC-3 World War II cargo plane that would fly into a Colombian airstrip. Now, if you're wondering why a cargo plane would fly into the middle of an airstrip in the Colombian jungle, yeah, you guessed it. They're moving booger sugar, but nobody admitted to that. So, sure. um, you know, we had to charter this crazy old plane held together by duct tape to fly into a cocaine dealer's airstrip in the middle of the Colombian Amazon. 
to then travel like 150 kilometers upriver into FARC rebel controlled Amazon territory where it had been, you know, it was nothing but guerrilla warfare for 30, 40 years. So it was, it was quite an expedition. And you, you top that off with the fact that we were looking for an extinct crocodilian that could totally eat you. We had to get blessed by a shaman who blew this crazy stuff in our face. I mean, it was a wild ride. Well, you didn't even mention your lead camera guy, Mitch, had, a, you know, an allergic reaction, which, by the way, my, my wife uh, would, would f- never forgive me. You and Mitch Cool, like you put Mitch in some pretty tough situations. So are me and Mitch Cool, I'm the best man at his wedding in November. You, so I hope okay. I hope we're still cool. Yeah, okay. no, Mitch is one of my best friends in the whole world. Zero question. Now, for people who've never seen the show, he's nearly stepped on a couple snakes. Uh, he got attacked by those wasps in the Amazon. So there's that. Um, I believe, I, I could be mistaken, I don't know if it was the pilot, but but the first animal you discovered, the Zanzibar leopard, like, you kind of told Mitch, like, we're, this is, this of everyone that we're looking for, like, this is just the one that's not going to happen. Is that fair to say? Straight up. No, when, so it wasn't the pilot, but Funnily enough, the Zanzibar Leopard was the last expedition we did in season one. Mm-hmm. And on the very first shoot, on the way to the shoot, the very first expedition, Matt, Mitch sat, sat next to me on the plane and we started talking and he's like, what's the one animal we're not going to find? You know, like, and I'm like, well, we're not going to find any of them. Let's be realistic, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, what's the one that there's just zero chance of happening? And I was like, oh, the Zanzibar Leopard, man. It's a huge, it's a small island. It's hugely overpopulated. The national park's tiny. Like, it's basically a waste of time. Like, we're doing it because it's a super cool story. It's a conservation message that needs to be told before other animals are wiped out in that part of the world. But, like, we're never going to find it. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. I won't hold out hope. And then, of course, you know, devil, like, like dumb luck, you know, um, that's the animal that we found, uh, the first animal that we found. So, yeah, it was a, uh, it was wild. Even even I was never anticipating that. How tough is it for you? You know, your message is conservation. How tough is it for you when you go into a place that doesn't have the same standards, expectations, whatever that, that we as Americans or whatever have? And I think there, there was an, a situation where you hired a guy to kind of lead you through the jungle and he brought a gun like ready to shoot his own, you know, whatever. I mean, as a conservationist, a biologist, and, and you know, I want to emphasize just because you're on TV, like you're doing real science work here. Like how tough is it for you to, to, to you know, and there's been a couple times in the show where, where you know, your crew kind of has to like force, like, you know, you, how tough is that for you? If that, if that's, that wasn't even a question, but I don't know if it made sense, but to just deal with like that concept of I'm in another country with other, you know, morals and standards and all that stuff. And, and I'm here to try to help and sometimes I, the people can't even help themselves. Keep in mind, I grew up in another cu- country and, sure, uh, sure. and one where witchcraft and lore uh, is the supreme religion. So I, I am very used to it. I'm very comfortable around it. I'm extremely respectful of it. All that being said, I, I stick to my moral compass regardless of uh, the situation. And what I mean by that is people often mistake legality and ethicality for being the same thing right i mean we see that constantly like it's legal to go shoot a grizzly bear it's not fucking ethical to go shoot a grizzly bear you know it's just not i'm sorry and i I have friends who are big game hunters and i don't i have no problem with hunting by the way i'm a huge advocate for sustainable proteins 
but it's not fucking ethical, right? Sorry, I'm dropping too many F bombs. Okay, here, drop them away. I'm from I'm from I, the East Coast. I, all I do is every other word, but I get excited by this stuff. But uh, the problem is in the U.S. It's not a problem, but let me let me explain something. In the United States, what's happened is we've done a very good job of making ethical, unethical things illegal in the wildlife space. Okay. Okay. We've done a wonderful job of that. I mean, you know, there's a reason you can't go out and, and murder bald eagles and so on and so forth, right? It's because it's unethical. Now in the rest of the world, legality and ethicality are much further apart. And so I follow my moral compass as a conservationist, regardless of the culture, the custom, the tradition, the, the anything, because at the end of the day, what I believe is ethical is preserving those species for future generations. So when I'm in a situation like I was in in Taiwan, where you're mentioning, where a national park appointed uh, porter had pulled out a gun to hunt in the only national park on the island of Taiwan, there's one and it's tiny to kill stuff. The only place in the whole country that things are protected even though it might have been his culture 100 years ago or, or even 50 years ago, I was livid because it's unethical. I mean, if he goes out and shoots that Formosan clouded leopard or, or that sun bear or whatever it happens to be, there's not going to be any for his kids to hunt, period. There's not going to be any for his kids to even see. So he might suffer immediately and I might get seen as insensitive. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to save the animals for everybody, you know, for so that all those cultures and traditions and customs can continue. And there, this is a problem worldwide, Aaron, because in the Maasai, a young warrior must kill a lion to drape the lion over his shoulders to become a man, right? Well, that was great when we had little tribes of 10 Maasai, but since Western influence and culture, now there's tribes of 200,000 of them living in cities, right? You kind of have 200,000 people going out there to kill a lion. There's not enough lions. So we have to, we have to figure out a balance. And I'm not saying that they, they kind of stick to their traditions, but we have to figure out a balance where the animals get to survive and, and the culture gets to survive. And like I said, at the end of the day, I'm not there to make friends. I'm not there, I, I, I don't care if I'm seen as culturally insensitive or anything else. I'm going to follow my moral code, and that is to protect the animals. So dumb question. I mean, what is there something the average person can do? I mean, and and by the way, I'm not trying to push my personal and, and I have friends that hunt and all that stuff. I, I'm not talking about the guy that during deer season when deer are overpopulated, like that's different than going into 100%. the gym. Yeah. And like go so, shoot your deer. I'm for it. That's good sustainable protein. I went spearfishing yesterday. That's what I spent my day doing yesterday to get protein for my family. I'm for it. There's a big difference between yes. that and unethical hunting. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, and no, no, no. And, and it's an important distinction because I don't want people thinking I'm on my high horse because I'm not either. Um, but is there something the average person can do? I mean, you know, you're talking about Africa, Taiwan, Sub-Saharan Africa, whatever. Um, what can the average person do that's like, well, shit, man, I want to go on a safari someday and see some lions. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I want to bring my grandkids. And I mean, is there anything the average person can do? hundred percent. There's tons of stuff. So what I like to tell people, because when you dig in, like, I want to save the world and you Google that, right. Or I want to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to be an environmentalist or a conservationist or whatever. You're going to be inundated by, you know, people with their hands out going, give me money, do this, do that. Don't do that. Don't do that people. Cause you're wasting your time. You're going to look at it all and go, it's too much. It's overwhelming. Ask yourself, look in the mirror, turn inward and go, what do I care about? Is it big cats like lions and tigers? 
Is it bears? Is it plastic pollution? Is it clean energy? Is it, is it, is it uh, you know, water quality? I don't know what that question is, but ask yourself what matters to you and make little changes that are going to impact that. So say, you know, say you do want to do these things one day, right? Or maybe you don't, maybe you don't ever even think you'll have the means to travel one day, but you want to make a difference. Well, maybe look at the label of the stuff you're buying. And I know this is like one of those things that people say, but think about how it all connects, right? If you go down to, to Albertsons tomorrow, Bonds, whatever your grocery store is, and buy a pack of Oreos, and I'm not hating on Oreos, I freaking love Oreos. But if you go buy those Oreos and you turn the ingredients label over, you're going to see that they're made with palm oil, right? Palm oil is the leading cause of deforestation, meaning they're clear-cutting entire incredible ecosystems like the jungles of Borneo to plant oil palm. Now, when you clear-cut massive tracts of, of, basically, when you plant tons of palm oil and nothing else, you get monoculture, one thing growing. That creates these avenues for explosions in bat populations, the same exact bats that led to the COV virus. So, Instead of sitting locked inside going, crap, I can't do anything because there's a pandemic, know that by just not buying Oreos, going to Trader Joe's and buying the knockoff Jozos instead, which basically tastes exactly the same, you might, you personally could be helping prevent the next global pandemic. So it's little things like that, like making little tiny choices that aren't even sacrifices. They're just choices that can lead to a huge difference and finding out what those things that you care about are and how you can impact them that make a massive change. It's really good stuff. Really good stuff. We got a couple more minutes. You got some other interviews lined up. First of all, I'm just curious, anyone who's seen your work, whatever, you've swum with crocodiles, swum with sharks, whatever. If, if you were quote unquote afraid, you wouldn't do it. But have you ever found yourself in a situation that's just like, how did I get myself here? Or maybe I, maybe I need to backtrack a little bit. Well, what's like the situation that you were like, Oh shit. Maybe I, maybe I went a little bit too far here or has there been one all the time, man. And don't be fooled by the TV bravado. I'm scared shitless <laughs> half the time, but I, I'm doing, you know, there's a difference between being stupid and being brave. Being stupid is never being scared. Being brave is being scared and doing it anyway. Right. Sure. And uh, yeah, I take what I call our calculated risks, right? You're asking, when am I scared? Three days ago, I was swimming in a crocodile trap to put the bait in it in one of the most crocodile infested areas in the world where five people had been killed by a crocodile that week. And we were after that crocodile. And I can't say more than that other than it's coming to Discovery Plus later this year. Ooh. But it, 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 you know, you don't think I was scared when I got waist deep in the water, having seen a man eating crocodile 15 minutes prior with a giant piece of meat to go and put it in a cage? I'm scared shitless, but I also knew that I was doing it for a good cause. And if I, if I maneuvered in the right way and did it quickly and had the guy drop the cage door down behind me and open it up again, my odds of success were greater than my odds of being killed. So, you know, I, I take these risks all the time, but don't be fooled into thinking that I'm not scared because I, I am scared plenty. <laughs> Fantastic. What are some expeditions that you want to do going forward? I mean, I don't know how much you can share. Or you've already taped or whatever. I mean, there's got to be, uh, you've been, I think, probably on all seven continents at this point, but but what what do you still want to do? I have to imagine there's a lot. Oh man, that list is infinite. I, I'm just barely getting started, Aaron, but there's so many things I want to do. You know, Extinct or Alive is an amazing thing. I've had a wonderful time doing it. Writing the book's been fantastic but I want to expand a little bit more instead of just focusing on this black and white, is it extinct? Isn't it or extinct? 
I'd like to open up the world of animal misunderstanding, you know, animals that are demonized and villainized for no reason. 20 years ago, you know, when the movie Jaws came out, everybody thought if you got in the water with a shark, you were going to be killed, right? Today, I can't go on Instagram without seeing some gorgeous blonde swimming next to a great white shark every sure. single day, right? Yeah. So the perceptions are changing and, and helping to forward that change is something that I want to do. It helps because the truth is, Aaron, once people get to understand wildlife and the outdoors, they get to appreciate it. And once they get to appreciate it, they care about saving it. So you know, I think what I want to do, you know, and this is a very grandiose way, and I can name some specifics of, of answering your question, but I just want to expand that whole world of loving wildlife and the outdoors and wild places. And I want to go to Papua New Guinea. The Pantanal is number one on my bucket list. I want to go to India and work with the gharial, which are these elongated snouted crocodiles with a big bulbous thing on the end of their face. I mean, the list goes on. There are so many things I haven't done. It's, it's insane. And, uh, you know, I'll get to as many as I can in this lifetime. That's for sure. Last, I mean, you had an incident that you kind of shared on Instagram. Is that related to what was going on with the crocodiles? You, the, the incident where you had to basically leave under the cloak of darkness. Oh, uh, you was, saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to give a little context to your listeners, <laughs> it's funny. I almost felt a little bit deceitful to people following along on Instagram because by the time I posted that, I was back in cell phone service two days after the incident had happened. Gotcha. So okay. people were like following along and they were sending these messages like, I'm on the edge of my seat. How's it going? And I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. This was three days ago. Um, but what happened was, Aaron, and, and nobody knows about this, so you, your listeners are getting a little insight here. Let's go. We were in a very remote part of um, Mozambique working on this crocodile project that I just explained briefly, and I don't want to say too much more about that. But um, when we got there, it was an area that tourists had not been to in three years, which isn't 30 years like some of the places we've been, but in three years. And what we found out, which we didn't actually even know, but we just found this out when we were sort of uh, <laughs> uh, raided, I guess is the best way to put it. What we found out was that the area that we were, had gone to had a politician, a Mozambican politician, who had been corrupted by an illegal Chinese logging company and was allowing the logging company to come in and clear cut ancient hardwoods. He thought, this politician, thought that we were there to expose him and that he was going to get into huge trouble. But as the lead politician of the entire region, he had control over the secret police and the military. So he sicked them on us without coming himself. This is how we found out about all this. We were just there to mess around with a crocodile. We weren't, we weren't even, we didn't even know about the logging thing. Anyway, he sicked the, the military and secret police on us. We handed them a bunch of paperwork, which it was all real paperwork, but it, they, they were just like sitting there scratching their heads like, wait, this says crocodile. Like, I don't know what to do here. And we fleed. We, we got because we were told that they were coming to get us. They were coming to take our gear, take us into custody. They were going to confiscate all of our equipment. And there was a pretty good chance that we weren't going to be seen from again. So I recorded those videos for the U.S. consulate as a basically as a this is what's going on. You know, if you don't find us, here's where we are. Here's what's happening. And, uh, and so those videos were actually for the U.S. consulate while we were on the run from this corrupt Mozambican politician. And uh, clearly we made it out of there. Nothing too terrible happened. We lost a few cameras, which were like kind of decoy cameras for them. But overall, everything worked out fine. <laughs> if, if that doesn't sell you on buying the book, Still Alive, A, wild, a Wildlife of Rediscovery, 
uh, and as well as Extinct or Alive. So the book is the focus now. Are there any, I, I know you can't share too many details. Is maybe another season, another made for TV. I guess you said Discovery Plus is the next place to look. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I, I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say, but screw it. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of stuff coming up. I've got a great new uh, project with Discovery Plus. Shark Week's right around the corner. I've got a couple Shark Week projects on the go, you know, all in the same vein of misidentified, lost, missing wildlife. Uh, incredible stuff going on. The book has been an absolute pleasure to write. It's been super fun to publish it during this time of COVID and allow people to get a much more in-depth look at what I do, as opposed to just seeing that, that little shiny highlight reel of what the TV shows are and my life and where I came from. So everything's good. It's been, it's been a wonderful ride and there's certainly a lot coming up. All right. Uh, he is Forrest Galante, again, a wildlife biologist. The show is called Extinct or Alive. The book is called Still Alive. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram at Forrest Galante. My man, dude, thank you. This was fun. I know you got other interviews. Uh, whenever the next project comes out, we will have to do this again. But I, I genuinely appreciate the time, my man. Time and place, Aaron, and I'll be there. I, I'd love to. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.